I think about Gibby from iCarly like on a regular basis. Why was he always shirtless? I mean, it was part of the. I don't know. But... He was also like not an adult, right? No, no, he was not an adult. <laughs> He's... God, I fucking, <laughs> fucking love, love Gibby, Gibby from, from iCarly. Do you guys remember all the feet stuff, or is that just me? Feet stuff. Yeah, all the what? feet stuff in iCarly. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't there was know feet stuff. stuff? So much feet show. stuff. It makes sense. Uh, yeah. It's why everyone has foot fetishes now. I really hope this isn't the intro, because my dad listens to this show. <laughs> and your dad has uh, a foot fetish? No, okay, now <laughs> it can't be the intro. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Out of Phase, a podcast by Portland State Professional Sound. Uh, I, as always, am your host, Drew Havner. And I'm Beto Carrasco. And this week we have... One of our other great team members, uh, Ashley Playsick. Say hi, Ashley. Hello. How's it going? How how are you doing? It's going. I'm hanging in there. Quarantine style. Yep. (laughs) Quarantine (laughs) style. The hottest craze right now. Yeah. I wish it was hotter than it was. Seems like people don't want to be in it. Anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, Ashley, what do you do for us here at PSPS? Um, I like plug cables into spots and hope it doesn't go boom. That's, like That's the main thing. <laughs> We've gotten okay. Every time I ask that question, what I'm assuming someone will answer is, "Oh, I'm like a mic a tech, tech, or yeah. I'm an audio engineer, I'm a lighting designer." And with without fail, with the exception of Jonah last week, they've been like, "I do either physical labor as Johnson." Jonah's like, "I just basically lift a bunch of boxes, or I plug things in." Yeah, I mean, you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. yeah. No, you plug things in with an advanced knowledge of plugging things in, which is basically just what we do. For sure. Yeah. So, Ashley, uh, can you maybe, like, I don't know, tell us a little bit about yourself, like what kind of background you come from in music or something like that? Yeah. So, I, like, I'm a SAMP major at Portland State. Which and what's is that? Like, that's, like, sonic arts and music production. I usually just say music production because that's a hella mouthful. Yeah, um, it's a big one. Yeah. So that and then I'm also double majoring in environmental science because I care about the earth, yo. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. And um, yeah, I do a little music on the side, like hopefully not on the side for my whole life. But yeah. this would be a good time to plug that. Yeah, I'm going to plug the, the socials right now. I'm Ash Autumn. Ash Autumn. You can find me on SoundCloud, but hopefully like. This is our favorite too. SoundCloud rapper. Yeah. <laughs> I spit some sick, sick verses, flow. What do you, what kind of music do you play? I play like indie rock, something alternative, folky. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you're going to get folk in there somewhere? Yeah. Play a mean, like, you play a mean Bob Dylan cover from what yeah, I've seen. For sure. It's a menagerie. <laughs> a menagerie. Yeah. That's I fair. actually got to see you play. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. I, I got mean, to mix you, which was pre- pretty cool. Actually, that's yeah. not true. I didn't mix you. John mixed you, but I oh, got okay. to be an engineer on one of your yeah. sets. It was cool. A witness, yeah. A witness. <laughs> I witnessed it. It did happen, and I was in the room. <laughs> yep. That was good. Yeah. So, what? What's your? Uh, what kind of kind of like genres of music do you listen to? Like, what do you spend your time with? Um. So I like grew up on rock, like classic rock. So that's like always going to be a part of me. But I um recently have been getting more into like electronica and like folk and i mean folk's always been there too but yeah that's pretty much nice that's awesome well you're gonna fit right in with our show today uh, obviously because we're uh gonna talk a lot about some not necessarily classic rock we're gonna talk about a little bit about punk rock and some some you know stuff about new wave and stuff like that and then at some point in the show you're gonna tell us about Covers that you didn't know were covers, which is such a great topic, and I'm so excited to talk about it. Uh, our our first song this week in my, I, I want a little theme song. I want to like, welcome everybody to my nostalgia corner. Choose nostalgia corner. Anyway, yeah, uh, we're talking about Straight to Hell this week, uh, and we're talking about the Clash this week. Um, I don't know if either of you have a big connection to the Clash. I know that I do, but um, I feel like it like th- some of their hits are ones that end up being those like staples that classic rock dads also listen to. Mm. Um, I don't know. Uh, but for a little bit of background for anyone that isn't familiar with The Clash, The Clash were 
a uh, punk rock band from the United Kingdom in uh, the late 70s and early 80s. And they're, they're really um, instrumental in the development of British punk, like as a genre and as a style. And also really interestingly, they, they like helped develop that genre of music. And then they continued to kind of shape the way that post-punk and new wave formed, which is cool because it's not a lot of times that you see a band so influential in one genre and then continue to be influential in the genres that, that, uh, that come after. Um, some of their songs, I'm, I'm sure you've probably heard them songs like should I stay or should I go, which was used in the first season of stranger things, which is why a lot of people are familiar with them or uh, London calling. I fought the law, which also I'm going to throw to the, <laughs> the middle segment of this is a cover. And I want to come back to that. Ooh, thank you. Yeah, it is. It is actually a cover. Uh, train in vain also, or rock the Casbah is one of theirs. Police and thieves is another one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're they they're um for a punk band. I mean, they're obviously incredibly famous. So they're not like this underground punk, but they still do have this like wide appeal. Um, and if you listen to something like London Calling, in contrast to Rock the Casbah, they're very different songs, right? Like London Calling is this like morbid, apocalyptic sort of new wave punk style song, and Rock the Casbah is really like upbeat and almost pop. It's weird. Um, but. This week, we're not talking about any of their hits. We're actually talking about a song, like I said before, called Straight to Hell, which is kind of smack in the middle of Combat Rock, which is one of their more famous albums. It is the one with um, Should I Stay or Should I Go on it. So what are your thoughts on this song, the two of you, Ashley Beto? Yeah. um, I don't know. I feel like most people would recognize the song right away as being um, featured or like sampled in MIA's Paper Planes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So... (laughs) I I really think that that's one of the yeah. things that, like, it's not a popular song. Like, it's not one of their hits, right? But you start it. It's got that uh, guitar line, which, um, before we even continue, let's just, let's just, uh, let's listen to that right now. So here's the uh, guitar riff that was uh, originally from Straight to Hell by The Clash. Well, yeah, uh, that's instant, instantly recognizable. Um, it's a very uh, unique sounding lick, or what, what would you even call that? Like a verse? I call unique it, uh, yeah, sample. I called it like a lick. I called it a hook because I feel like it's what pulls you into proper. both of those songs. It's like that that guitar just kind of like hooks. Yeah, yeah, and well, I mean, like the difference is like I. I <laughs> I mean, personally, every time I hear that song, I always expect MIA to start playing more <laughs> than do. I hear The Clash <laughs> start playing. But I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy them both. Um, the Clash definitely um, wrote that, though. Like, I, I don't know how else yeah. to put that. Like, the, it, it, I mean, the song plays and it switches into, like, the right chord. I have a hard time understanding what the lyrics are talking about. I've also never really looked them up, but um, it's something British for sure. <laughs> It is. It is Something kind of. We'll get into it. Ashley, what are your what are your thoughts on it? Um. So, like, to be honest, this this like era, I guess the whole '80s, like, I kind of usually write off is not my favorite. <laughs> on Spotify, I have a playlist called "Tolerable '80s," which <laughs> good news. I think this is getting on there because it was really cool. Hey, that's yeah. great. It was like, um, I don't know. It reminded me of like Men at Work down under i don't know that's like interesting one of my favorite 80s songs but like the only ones i know so that's why that's but fair. um above all i liked how like the drums were mixed i thought the toms were really cool like super wide super expansive and um his voice is really cool too really unique kind of like morrissey song. very very british very british very... and i like I like like modern British punk, so this was kind of cool to. Yeah, it's that very like stylistic. I don't remember which one of them sings this song because that it's a band that I, for the most part, I think that Joe Strummer sings a lot of their music, but I could be wrong about that. Um, yeah, it, it it definitely and the Clash, broadly speaking, have a really specific sound like that. They have that like really spatial sound, and uh, their vocals always have that like 
very British sound for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, yeah. Um, I, <laughs> every time I, I really wanted to go back to the, the thing about it being a sample is every single time up until I had heard, because I've been listening to this song for quite a while now and I, for, for a long time, I had the same reaction that I think a lot of people have where it's like you hear the guitar and in the MIA version, it goes like, I think it goes like up in pitch. It might go down or something. It does the opposite of what the original song does. So you're like, okay, right. I'm ready for this to happen. Oh yeah. It's that the clash version goes down. It goes like and the MIA version just goes up or it like goes into a beat, I think. Uh, and so it's like, it's this weird, like, it gets to that point and all of a sudden it's not the thing you were expecting, which is like, whoa, whoa, what happened? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you guys, uh, do you have any thoughts about like meaning or anything? Did you look too much into the lyrics or anything like that? Something about playing the fiddle. Yep. It's about being a really good fiddle player. No, it's actually, um, I, love that. I can tell you, I can give you a little lesson. Uh, Straight to Hell is, uh, it's this, like, I would say, like, bitterly ironic song about immigration. Um, and so this song was written in, in like, the 80s, the early, early 80s. And by the end of the, the 70s, immigration to the UK from Asia had, had heightened a lot, uh, particularly Vietnamese immigration because of the end of the Viet- Vietnam War. Um, and this song is, like, it details the treatment of immigrants from the perspective of someone that's treating them poorly. And that's where that like straight to hell, the, the, the chorus of it, like go, go to hell, go straight to hell. It's being directed at those people in, in a way that is critical of that standpoint. Um, it's so, yeah, like if you really look at the lyrics, it's a lot of like, um, kind of a little bit horrible things but but it's being you know directed from this from this point of um criticism it's it's not like a genuine opinion of the people that wrote the song especially because uh they were notably very very like anti-racism anti uh, being a part of the punk movement is kind of inherent in that but the, the, the this group of people were very like pro-immigration and pro like support for people like that and and a, a lot of it also is um criticism of of the united states which which the clash also talk about a lot in their music and in the second verse it, it actually details the experience of many uh vietnamese children who are fathered by american gis during the war mm. um it's those lyrics about like mama san which is kind of weird because that's not a vietnamese honorific that's a japanese honorific but yeah, it was used by weird. yeah it's weird but it was it was actually used by american soldiers to refer to vietnamese men and women papa san and mama san which is weird because it's incorrect in so many ways but it was an actually used thing so it details this experience of vietnamese kids who were you know, half Vietnamese and half American, but their dads were just like, I'm out because I don't live here. Uh, so, and it's, I, I, I have, you know, I, I, I'm not Vietnamese. I don't have that shared experience, but it is kind of heart-wrenching. And I think that nothing else really says it like this specific set of lyrics. You and mama, mama, mama Sam. Let me tell you about your blood. It ain't Coca-Cola, it's rice Straight to hell, boy Go straight to hell, So that, that metaphor of, of, you know, someone's blood not being Coca-Cola, it's rice is, I think it's still, you know, supposed to be from the standpoint of this anti-immigration person, but it's, it's this powerful message i it's this really like horrible thing to associate with someone who is trying to not like they're they're trying like they want to be british or american or whatever it is in the scenario and to tell them that they're not to tell them that it's not not to say that your blood being coca-cola is necessarily like a good thing because it does talk about like consumerism like it it it's still a critique of 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 the west in that way but And it's this line is delivered in a way that stands apart from the rest of the song and that the the vocalist 
drops down an octave and it comes out in this very like harsh, low baritone delivery. And I, I that part has always really stuck out, stuck out to me. I, I think that for me, one of the things that this song brings to mind is that maybe it's not the place of four white dudes to tell this story and to make this criticism. I think it's still valid criticism, but I think the early eighties are a very different place from today where maybe it's not, maybe it's the immigrants, not job, but it's their place to do that. Not like a bunch of white dudes, but I do think that the, the song comes from a place of anger about the treatment of another people. And that the point is to show that these immigrants are just as, you know, British as the clash are, or just as American as, you know, the four of us or the three of us are. And uh, I think that that message is, is really important today in the United States and, you know, all over. I want to know what your thoughts are about, you know, that, that uh, I guess, analysis of the song. I guess it's like a sentiment that may still be like um, relevant today. If we're if we're talking about specifically talking about like oh they're just as American or just right. as British as you know you and I or whatever, I think that's still like a a very real uh uh thing that's felt today. Um, one thing that I can like bring it to you know is like to like the DACA like the Dreamers, and they're like um you know it's like the deferred action. I don't know. It's basically like immigrant children that were brought here before like the age of like 16 or something sure uh specifically the united states you know here um but um you know and it's just like they they are american you know they like live there they grew up here or like even like younger ones like they grew up here they since they were kids like that's all they know you know and like imagine i can see like some of like the hard things being told to these kids you know being like hey like yeah you're not really american you're this you're this you're that but you're like dude <laughs> you know right like my <laughs> blood like, is just as much coca-cola as your yeah. blood my man yeah yeah <laughs> so it's it's interesting so i don't know i guess i could see those and um yeah i don't know I there's think still the- a lot of those angry people around and you know they want to get rid of that right now so i think that you could see i think that the the sentiment of this song really is important in the us today um just acknowledging that you're american if you're american right like you're not you're not you don't have different blood like it's if you're american you're american this is not a really big nascent political sentiment it's just like i i know that one of the reasons that I connect with this song, aside from like any connection I have through nostalgia, is that like as someone who studies political science and focuses on things like political theory and rights and things like that, like this kind of thing makes me angry. And it's 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 I don't know, I think it's cathartic in a lot of ways to see another person be angry about it. This what makes good punk rock in a lot of ways, or at least good like first wave punk rock is like eh- anger and i i think it's interesting because it's it's directed in a way that like it's this like kind of poetic and weirdly like formatted critique like showing it through the lens of someone who believes these horrible things i think that's that's like an interesting way of putting it as opposed to like i don't know like the dead kennedys for example that are just like jerry brown's hitler and like that's a less veiled critique that's a less poetic critique is <laughs> literally calling someone who's the governor of california hitler um yeah yeah so the reason why this to me is particularly nostalgic is because um it's for like a couple of reasons uh, i think first of all it's just if I had to pick, I think this would be my favorite song. It, it's I, I just really enjoy how it sounds. I, I enjoy the sonic aesthetic of it, first of all. But I also really enjoy its message. And I, I really, I, I it's good to hear people mad about things that I think they should be mad about. Um, but I also enjoy it because the hook is really catchy, you know. Um, but in terms of nostalgia, I've I've been around The Clash for pretty much I would say my entire life my dad is just like someone who really loves the clash and has always impressed their importance on me uh, like even since I was a kid it's it's something that I've known for a long time that the clash are like 
important in music history. Like they're important to the history of punk rock and new wave and all these kind of things. Um, and, and, you know, songs like London Calling and Train in Vain and Should I Stay or Should I Go have been in my life. And I've been around them for a really long time. Like I, I had these songs on my like first iPod when I was like 10. Like I was a 10 year old listening to The Clash. Not that that makes me like cool, but like just I think it speaks to just like they've been in my musical life for a long time. Um, and I didn't, ironically enough, I didn't really start like listening to them, like actively seeking their music on my own until I was in college. And I, I think that maybe is probably the experience of a lot of people of looking at punk music when they're in college because it's it's really emblematic of like youth and freedom and so is college, right? Um, so I didn't really start listening to punk as a genre until, you know, a couple of years ago. And, and The Clash quickly became my like favorite a punk band because they had such a you know like a unique style they're they're it's not just like a, there are songs that are like just angry government is bad like they are taking away rights like very typical punk they have other songs like this um, and they have songs like rock the casbah which are just like weird and all over the place and still have a message but i you know they're they're different the clash are really different they also play like weird funk ska stuff sometimes which i think is kind of cool you know, uh, when I first started really getting into them, I was like, oh, Combat Rock is one of their, like, big albums, and I listen to that. I think I was at work, like, doing something on my own with inventory or whatever, some menial task, and I was put on the album, and this song came on in the middle of it, and I was, I had the reaction that everyone seems to have who's our age when they, when they hear this, it's just like, oh, it's that MIA song that, wait, what? what? But this is, and then the, you know, the riff <laughs> drops down instead of going up where you think it should, and I was like, oh, this is a Clash song. I didn't know this sample came from this. Um, and that's now my, like, fun music fact. Um, and and I so I listened to it, and I was like, I really like this. And then I when it ended, I played it again, and I was like, I really like this. And I just kind of looped it for a while and was like, wow, that's a great song. I really enjoy that song. And uh, since then, it's just been one of my favorite songs. Um, and that's not, you know, really like a nostalgic connection. Uh, but I... I I was fortunate enough uh, to go to London last summer, actually, with my my dad and my brother. And one of the things I really wanted to do while I was there was, like, be a part of, not be a part of, but, like, view the music history and culture because it's, it's really important. It's a really important, you know, like, musical cultural hub. So, like, we got to see the place where the Rolling Stones first met and, like, one of the clubs that Jimi Hendrix, like, got really famous in. and Jealous. It's really cool. There's this really cool tour that they like we did. It's like a whole walking tour of like central London. It was a really fun time. Um, one of the things that w- uh, the Clash weren't really like on there or anything, and neither was really any other punk rock. It was more about like classic rock. Oh, uh, and one of the days when we were there, my, my brother and my dad, they had their own thing going on. And so I had the whole day to myself and I had a card for the London Underground so I could go pretty much anywhere it went. And I, I went up to... Um, an area called Camden or Camden Town, which is uh, kind of like a cool neighborhood. It reminded me a lot of home of Portland, actually. It was like very like oriented towards uh, like, I don't know. It, it, it had like a market that I went to, for example, that was very oriented towards like home crafted goods and stuff like that. And there were also other shops. And uh, while I was there, I was walking around like listening to The Clash because I was like, this is a place that like, has ties to that genre of music and I I, I want to live in that that historical moment. So I like was there and I there was a Doc Martin store and I bought myself like high calf high Doc Martins, like true punk Doc Martin, the ones that you see me wear all the time, like my big shiny boots, that's where I got them. And uh walking around this area, you know, in very like iconic punk shoes and 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 then I I went to there's this there's this bar there called Dingwalls, which is all, which is a fucking great name. First of all, I don't <laughs> know what it's name. named after, but it, it's on like, all of Camden is in this like area with locks, like like locks, like water locks, and Dingwalls is right on one of these locks. It's this old old stone building that looks like it was built in like the Victorian era or something like that, and it's a really famous music venue as well. And and the Clash have played there and so have like the Sex Pistols or more recently like Arctic Monkeys have played there. Like it's, it is, it's an important musical venue. And I went in and just like had a beer and listened to 
punk and it was cool. It was really cool to feel in a place uh, of music that was inspirational and important to me. It was, it was, it was an experience that I've, I've, it was one of my favorite experiences I've ever had. And it's experience that I'd never had before and haven't had since of like, I'm like living vicariously through this historical area and, and this historical, all these historical moments that are, that are so inspirational to me. I, I get to see where they were. And that's maybe not nostalgia. Maybe that's not exactly what it is. Cause I'm not necessarily nostalgic for the era of punk rock, but like it's, it, it, it brings up that same kind of emotion in me as, as when I hear a song that reminds me of when I was a kid. Uh, yeah, that's my that's my two cents on Straight to Hell by The Clash. All right, so now our guest, Ashley Plasek, will talk to us about uh, songs that you didn't know were covers. Yeah, so today I wanted to talk about covers um, and why they're important to music and why I think people will come back to certain songs throughout time. Um, and I'll like touch on songs you knew were covers or you didn't know were covers but maybe you did, and I don't know, like, I'm no expert. Songs so. that Ashley didn't know were covers yeah, is the was, title of this segment. It's really it's really okay. just about me. It also could be I'm songs clueless. that Drew didn't know were covers because I probably didn't either. So this was kind of important for me because I was just thinking back on, like, growing up playing guitar and piano. Like, you've got to, you know, learn basic chords and stuff. And it was always really helpful for me to have, like, a guide and like a, a reason to play because scales get boring and I don't know, it's, it's more fun. Um, and it wasn't because I wasn't like inventive enough to make my own songs, but um, understanding how like musical structure worked and what worked in different genres was really crucial. Um, plus I think like, I don't know, I was a weird little kid who was like, yeah, mom, I just played this song by Hendrix. Like, I'm all that. I'm how how old were you when you I'm were learning to play Jimi Hendrix? <sighs> Maybe like 12, but... That's a cool 12-year-old. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I think I was listening cool. to LMFAO when I was 12, so... I mean, I was too, I think. Um, So I thought it was cool that like once you know how people are doing a song in a certain genre, you can like start to bend the rules and do your own things with music. Um, And that's when you'll get like really unique covers or like really cool references to past works in your own music and I think like any other field like painting or writing or you know just anything like you learn by seeing what the greats did before you and seeing what you can bring to the table um so for this like my background is in classic rock and like blues and I'm also in a like a blues class right now, just learning about like the history of why, you know, that was so important to the foundation of rock and roll. Um, so I thought that'd be cool to bring up, um, like, how does the meaning of a song, why did people like write it back in the day? How does that change once someone covers it? And um, with that, like, we have to talk about Led Zeppelin because- We always have to. We have to. Like, it's mandated. It's but. it's it's a music podcast. Mm-hmm. We have to at some we, point. We must. We must confront him. The day, the day has come. Um, yeah. So Zeppelin is like one of my favorite bands. Growing up, love all their songs, love all their music. Everyone in the band, amazing. Yada yada yada. Um, but quite a few of their songs, like you might not know, uh, you know, the really famous ones that ended up on all of their albums were inspired or were legit covers of other songs especially those like from the deep south um and one that i kind of was talking to you guys about was when the levee breaks um a song originally written um by memphis mini who was a like amazing classical guitarist and blues guitarist Um, yeah yeah and she wrote this in 1927 based on uh the great Mississippi flood, which was this, uh, you know, the levee was literally breaking. It's not a very deep song. (laughs) No, it's about when the levee breaks, (laughs) but yeah, like, um, in his, in historical sense, like black people were forced to like work on the levee and guard the levee at gunpoint. They had to, um, stay after the levee broke. They had to live in this like, 
you know, flooded, horrible area. And like, I don't know. That's what a lot of the lyrics came out of. It was like, crying won't help you, praying won't do you no good. Oh, crying won't help you, praying won't do no good. Crying, crying won't help you, praying won't do no good. They had to you know, retain some level of hope uh, despite all of this crazy chaos going around them. And a big thing for them was to um, head north, too. So, yeah, so when Zeppelin um, covered this in 1971... They did give credit to Memphis Minnie on the track. That's good. Um, yeah, like, that was something that I was finding when I was researching this, that, like, a lot of the times it was kind of hit or miss. Like, there right. are so many so many songs by, like, Muddy Waters or Howlin' Wolf, all these, like, staple blues artists that were really good at what they did, that they, you know, not just Led Zeppelin, other bands in that era didn't really give credit where it was due. Is that because of, like, the absence of copyright law? I don't know anything about copyright law, really, but I... Um, Well, from my understanding, it was basically just, like, these were songs that Robert Plant and Jimmy heard, and they were like, yeah, this is cool. Let's do something with it. And they did rework it totally. Like, if Yeah, it totally to songs, sounds different. Yeah, it, it's... Yeah, it's amazing. It, it's really cool because I... I knew this Led Zeppelin song because it's one of those other bands that has been in my life for a long time, although it's never been like my particular thing. And I, so I'd, I'd heard When the Levee Breaks, uh, which wouldn't, <laughs> which isn't apparent by the fact that in our outline I spelled Levee, L-E-V-Y, uh, you know. <laughs> close enough. Close enough. Uh, and I knew the song and when I played it, I was like, oh yeah, it's this song. And then I listened to it and I was like, oh, it does kind of sound bluesy, which, you know, is, you know, indicative of Led Zeppelin to some point. And then I heard the original version. And I was like, mm. "Oh, it sounds mm-hmm. a lot more blues than I think because of the like that that song structure. That like, totally. uh, it's like I don't know. I don't really. I'm not really well versed in song structure, but it's like the chorus or the verse or whatever. Something is like it's the same phrase twice and then a different phrase with a slightly different melody. It's like yeah. something when the levy breaks. Like classic when like, the levy breaks. Structure, yeah. yeah, it's it, yeah. So and and I didn't pick up on that in the Led Zeppelin version, but then listening to the original version, the Led Zeppelin version sounded way more like a traditional blues song with electric guitar than, than it ever right. has to me. Yeah. Yeah. The original sounds to me like, um, much more folky almost just like, and it, it's done in a, I don't know if it's a major key. I really don't know, but it sounds lighter and it sounds like, even though they're talking about this super depressing, it's like bouncy. Time, it's like bouncy and like, hopeful almost i guess so that was interesting in terms of like covers that you didn't know were covers my favorite is i fought the law <laughs> which is something that is i i know through the clash right. but who did that originally okay yeah the, here let me let me track this back for for you so it was recorded in 1979 by the clash that is the popular version that I know, and I think that people of our generation know, even though it's right. like a more our parents' generation. But it was actually popularized by a group called the Bobby Fuller Four, who were a like a rock and like early rock and roll, like a little bit doo-wop-y kind of like group in the in the mid early sixties. But they didn't write it because their cover, theirs was a cover of a song. Of of the same song written by Sonny Curtis of the band The Crickets, who was Buddy Holly's backing group. Dang. Like Buddy Holly and the Crickets. So Sonny yeah. Curtis was a member of the Crickets. He wrote I Fought the Law. It was covered by the Bobby Fuller Four. And then again covered by The Clash in the late 70s. Oh which is God. a great chain of events. Because also, if you listen to that through the lens of The Clash, not knowing it's a cover, it sounds like a punk song. Because right. it's I fought the law and the law won. It's like the man's keeping me down, right? Like, yeah. that's why I never thought it was a cover because it feels so in line with the message of the genre. But it's like, oh, no, it was written by one of Buddy Holly's friends. <laughs> right. Whoa. Like, literally genre, like the original genre means nothing when you can do it good right. in another one. Like, I could freaking do Father John Misty and Death Punk and you'd be like, 
Yeah, maybe. Now, maybe can you possible. describe to me the genre that is death punk? Because I, I it's, I'm gonna I Google that. Like, I think it's like real, so please look it up. But maybe it's, it's like not, death metal. Death I think metal you mean plus death punk. Metal. It's that hard steel music. I'm gonna make it, okay? Yeah, no, I I think that I've always found covers super cool like that, just because like. It, it, it's I I enjoy hearing a reworking of a song that I know by an artist that I like. Like I I really like. This is a weird poll, and I talked about her earlier on the or not earlier in this show, but on, in one of our earlier episodes. But Regina Spector has a cover of um, "While My Guitar Gently Weeps," and it's mm. on the soundtrack to the movie Kubo and the Two Strings, yes. the Leica like stop motion movie about the Japanese boy I love that movie. who has the shamisen. I love- you all see the love there that's sleeping while my guitar gently weeps. And it's cool because it's the end credits song too, so it's hmm. it's still modern, right? But it's it's like Regina Spector singing while my guitar gently weeps. That's being played primarily on a shamisen. I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Which is a cool sound. Like, it's this very Asian sound. And, and I mean, Regina Spector's not Asian. She's Russian-American, so it doesn't really fit in that regard. But it's uh, it's really cool. I heard her play that live, not with a shamisen. And it's 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 a really, it's one of my favorite covers also. I mean, I knew that one was a cover, though, to be <laughs> fair. Because that's a, the original is a little popular. Yeah, for sure. I didn't know, um, like, researching this, that the Beatles did like they covered some pretty popular songs of theirs like twist and shout is a cover mm-hmm. didn't know yeah. that they're like that... first songs right were mostly covers yeah, yeah. a lot of them um, I, I think that's indicative of the music at the time because of like you know like absence of like copyright and stuff mm-hmm. like that like they started out kind of as like what's called skiffle which is kind of like bluesy yeah, yeah, yeah. but british um and skiffle has a lot of covers in it too beto what's your favorite cover my favorite cover yeah um Shoot, uh, I don't have one on the top of my head, but I have one that like really stands out to me. Yeah, um, it's by like this uh, like post punk uh group called like the Slits. It's like fronted by like all women, and they do a oh, cover. Yeah. Uh, they do a cover of yeah. uh, I heard it through the grapevine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that was a cover. I don't really yeah. know that song super well though. So. Yeah, and I honestly had never heard the original. I can't even. We should find who that's originally by, yeah. but like, I'm I was googling. Like, Dang. It. Man, I'm really, uh, really good at Google in this episode. I'm the Google master. <laughs> Google. That's probably my favorite. Uh, not my uh, favorite. That's nor- like one that I know the most. Uh, I heard it through the grape. Oh yeah, no, okay, I do know this song. Uh, through the grape. Yeah, Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong for Motown Records. Mm-hmm. First recording, this song was released and produced by Whitfield for Gladys Knight and the Pips. <laughs> that's that's who made it popular, to my understanding. Yeah, it's a good cover. Um, they bring their own style to it, for sure. Ashley, do you have any favorite covers? <sighs> yeah, um, I really like, uh, as I was looking into this, I realized that I've done, like, a lot of covers of songs that are covers. So, um, Nirvana did Where Did You Sleep Last Night by Lead Belly, Ooh. which was oh. actually... Yeah. I didn't know that one was a cover either. Hey, you learn something new. I'm learning a lot in this section. My girl, my girl, don't lie to me. Tell me where did you sleep last night? Yeah, um, but that was like a folk song from the 1800s, which was passed on mouth to mouth for years and years. And like, but what I really like about covers is that like you can change to fit the time like another song i was looking into was universal soldier which i'd heard the jake bug version of he's like a more modern folk rock artist but um that was originally written in the 60s in like vietnam era stuff like basically asking why are people fighting like you don't have to la di da di da but um yeah, that's been changed a million times, and so has uh, "Where Did You Sleep Last Night." That was done like over a hundred times. Hmm. So it's one I, of my I just favorites. love how. Yeah, it's a great song. Uh, now that I think about it, yeah. One of I there's this you saying that about like changing it to fit the style made me think of 
Alt-J, if you guys are familiar with them. Mm-hmm. British, like, alt-rock Just electronic. Just Blocks. No, Breeze Blocks is not. <laughs> they, okay, Breeze Blocks, yeah. They might contain the ears to run away. Uh, I, I I had them a little bit l- ruined, uh, by the way. This is totally unrelated, oh, no. but someone ruined them to me a couple years ago. Not, I love them still, but uh, he, someone, a, a buddy told me that uh, their lead singer sounds like Adam Sandler when he sings, which is kind of upsetting. Oh. <laughs> this is from, this yeah. is from Well, we need to do it, especially. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit Adam Sandler. Um, anyway, on, on Alt-J's most recent studio album, Relaxer, they have a cover of... House of the Rising Sun by the like by Eric Bird and the Animals. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe That's they were just the animals at that point. That's Is that a cover? Yeah. Is it really? Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> Everything's a cover. Okay, so 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 something that happened, right? When like the Rise of Rock and Roll, a lot of like the British artists got really like hyped up on the blues, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they ended up bringing over a lot of like um like I don't know, like the Rolling Stones are famous for like bringing um, Muddy Waters over to the UK right. and stuff, yeah. and they co- and they covered a lot of Muddy Water songs too and stuff. And House so of the Rising Sun is a traditional yeah. folk song. Yeah, it tells of life gone awry in New- or life gone wrong in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, I I didn't I I've I've only ever heard the Animals version of it. That's the one that is like really popular. But a lot of blues covers. Dude. Yeah, I guess that makes sense too. If like they're a British band doing a cover of American blues, and I, I think that is like one of the things that really tells about the. Uh, about the, um, you know, like the nature of covers, you see that a lot in that like that era. But yeah. Alt J has a cover of this song too, and it is so weird because it's Alt J covering a blues song. They're also British, so it's kind of emblematic. It's just the Brits; they like doing covers. They really do. It's really cool. Um, I I really enjoy it. Um, to the point where I think that we should slice in a clip. So let, let's listen a little bit to Alt-J's cover of House of the Rising Sun. There is a house in New Orleans They call the rising sun I really, really enjoy that cover because I really enjoy Alt-J, but I also, I think it's so cool. I, I, I just think covers are cool, especially when they're, like you said, actually, like they're transformative. For example, I think... Ashley, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you play a cover of uh, Heart Shaped Box, right? That I do. It's a good one. I like that Thanks. cover. That's my favorite cover. Aww. It's Aww. a cool... No, it actually is really cool. I genuinely enjoy your cover of Heart Shaped Box. It's really cool. Thank you. So, Beto, I, I, I think you have something along the lines of, like, goth, new wave, post-punk history to tell us about, right? Uh, just, just, a, just a bit, you know, here and there. Just a bit? I don't know. Okay, For my first question is, how would you define this genre? Yeah, I mean, um, post-punk is, like, starting, like, grabbing the low-hanging fruit, right? So it's definitely what comes after uh, punk, right? So what happened... And there's your English lesson for the day. <laughs> my, Post yeah. and punk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... Um, you know, like, we could say that, like, punk lasted through, like, the 70s to, like, the early 80s, you know, whatever that was, you know. Um, but, I mean, there was still plenty of punk bands even to today, you know. But uh, this, like, type of genre, this type of music, um, this post-punk music is, like, popular to, like, popular for, like, beginning in the UK, you know. Um, so we're talking, like like the cure right like oh well not just the cure but uh, i know but like the cure joy division like to like just broadly speaking give people an idea of what we're talking about yeah so um one of like the like the popular ish genres that like developed from that developed during this era this post-punk era uh you could just say like the post-punk era lasted through like the entire 80s you know just for a nice little little thing right because then Uh, we get grunge yeah we get we get like um this like the beginning of like this like dark and gloomy and uh like they call it like goth you know goth the beginning of goth rock the goth punk i always liked i always liked goth wave because it feels like it's not just like you know punk specific because there's a lot of synth and yeah but uh i would say that like that is part of the what defined post-punk it was the adoption of like also electronic elements to the music that's a good point yeah 
and it was just like early on and you know like for example um like one of the most uh noticeable or like recognizable entries of like the beginning of like post-punk or like the goth element of it would be Bauhaus Bella Lugosi's Dead White on white translucent black capes Black on the rack Bella Lugosi's Dead yeah so as you can clearly hear there's some real atmospheric elements going on you know there's these real spooky elements going on and it's like very reminiscent of like like a like a genuine horror movie or like the guy yeah or or like the movies bella lugusi was in you know like dracula (laughs) this whole genre to me has this like not even in its like sonic aesthetic, but like in its actual words, has these like real tangible connection to classic horror movies. Like, mm, yeah, like like the Killing Moon, for example, has these like this massive werewolf analogy. Like, or at least that's what I get from it. I, I uh, it has all these like. I mean, I don't think that's what it's about, but it, it, the idea of the Killing Moon and that kind of a thing. Yeah. Um. <laughs> the Killing Moon. I I like Echo and the Bunny Men. They're cool. I don't really but, know uh, if I know any other Echo and the Bunny Men songs, but I really like The Killing Moon. Yeah, that's that's another good one to talk about, like the spooky element. Um, it's when we say spooky, I guess we're talking about like an atmosphere. There is an atmosphere to what they are doing. Yeah, which is which is really cool to see. While I was while I was sitting here listening to this in prep for this episode. I was just looking out the window and I was listening to, you know, The Cure and Bauhaus and Joy Division and it was nice and sunny. And then by the, over the course of the 20 minutes I was listening to music, it got dark and started raining. And I was like, Jesus. this is uncomfortable, <laughs> but I, it fits the aesthetic. I I, 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 it. I was like listening to uh, Bella Lugosi at um, uh-huh. like 2 a.m. last night and that Ooh, was a bad choice. That's scary, dude. I was very creeped out. I had this experience one time of driving. I have like a playlist of this kind of like music because I I also really enjoy this music. And I was driving to Bend last summer, like in in this, you know, through the pass, through the mountains, like in this Mm -hmm. like dense, dark forest. And it was raining. And I was like, I'm going to fucking die. Like, (laughs) I mean, it's not scary, but it, but it, like you were saying, Beto, it's, it's got this like aesthetic of like, spooky it's spooky it's just like unnerving a little bit but also you know it's not like it's not unnerving to the point where it's unlistenable yeah yeah no it's it's good like old timesy spooky like yeah old movie where i'm like not that scared because i know the special effects aren't that good exactly still pretty spooky and i think that's the aesthetic they're going for yeah it's like this like uh i don't know i like that it brings this like uh this like it's like the framework like the skeletons of like punk rock you know of like the distortion like the uneasiness or whatever but they do bring it yeah but they like bring more things into it like they they make it artsy i guess is what i'm trying to say they really do make it artsy it's (laughs) not just no longer like wailing guitars and like untalented people like it's like now they're like i don't know no like no you know i know what what I mean? mean though like yeah it's, and it, in message to the message changes the meaning changes from like that first wave of punk rock is super political like if you think about like like uh like i was talking about earlier california uber alice by uh the dead kennedys or just dead kennedys i should say that's incredibly political and and then you have stuff like uh you know like ever fallen in love uh, or you know a lot of joy division stuff for example is like really personal like love will tear us apart was on our list to listen to that you gave us beto and that that song is really like deeply deeply individualistic and personal and i i think that 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 like change is something that you see forever in punk rock that like it has Mm. this cyclical nature of like becoming political again and then like or maybe it's less of a cycle and it's more of this like these this this coin right these two sides of punk where you see one side is really outwardly politically focused mm-hmm. about other people and what they deserve and their rights and things like that. And another side, I think we probably see this more and more recently, like you see it in post-punk, but you also see it in like post-punk revival in the early 2000s. 
and you know how like kind of emo punk and like punk pop came out of that it's all really deeply personal and and uh, and about like a personal experience and or a lot of times about love or something like that yeah i don't know i guess i had some other songs to talk about too that i thought were kind of important in this development of uh what we call like i don't know i guess is what do i even call this goth post-punk just post-punk like, for vagueness I, I i yeah i think that i think that post-punk includes other stuff that like i think it includes for example the clash but the clash aren't this you know like the clash are punk and then their later stuff is post-punk but the clash aren't this the clash aren't the cure you know like the clash aren't yeah. spooky the clash are like weird and in your face i think that it's like because it straddles this this like line between new wave and and like punk like punk proper you know it's like this like and it's goth i think goth i think goth is probably the best term for it like goth wave or something like that you could call it gunk <laughs> Gunk. 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 Yeah, that's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah, this is my mute. Want to listen to some gunk? Want to listen to some gunk? gunk. Yeah, but um, I'm out of here. Yeah, part of what I was gonna say about like that clash thing is that a lot of bands like reinvent themselves too. Oh yeah, and they're like one of those bands that I I I don't know if they like really reinvented themselves, but they like kept changing their sound. I lot. think that they reinvented themselves on the same so, album. Like one would be a punk song and the next would be ska. Yeah, well, they we were talked like, enough about the clash by, like, dub. Yeah. But anyway, like something like that I thought was really cool about the cure was like in their beginning, like their first album, Three Imaginary Boys, they're like uh doing like I don't like a straight up like post punk album with like closer ties to like punk rock. Or and then they develop like this pop writing structure to it as well. They're like not even playing or they're barely playing around with like the spooky element, you know, but like if you didn't know, like Robert Cure played with uh, a Robert Cure, Robert Smith. I was like, with, wait, hold on. His name is Cure. Ironic. That'd be dope. That'd be dope. No, but Robert Smith uh, played with uh, Susie and the Banshees. He's like oh, the guitarist for them for I a while. I didn't know that at all. Yeah. So then he had his separate band. And then on their second album, which is like also one of my favorites, like my favorite Cure is early Cure. It's just like to put out there It's 17 seconds. And that's um we find like the song M and this is when you can start to begin you can this is when you start to uh notice like the atmospheric um goth element that they begin to they they that they become well known for this is like the start this album The Cure has always stuck in my mind. Not that I'm a huge Cure fan, but I do like The Cure. I was listening to the radio one time, and I, they played, I think, like, Friday, I'm in Love. One of the, one of the more popular Cure songs. I love that one, too. I mean, it's a great song. Who doesn't love that song? <laughs> hey, fun fact, There's a, this isn't the anecdote at all, but there's a restaurant in Portland that's an egg restaurant called Fried Egg, I'm in Love, and I think that's great. Um, shout out to them. Never been there. Funny name. Uh, but I, I was, you know, listening to the radio. Something came on, and as I transitioned out of it, the DJ was like, he told this anecdote that he had heard that like someone told him one time that any dude who was in a punk band in the eighties, his girlfriend listened to the cure. And I, I always thought that that was like the best way of describing the cure through absolutely no explanatory means. Like you can't explain what the cure is, but like that kind of sets up like this broad, like goth and punk adjacent, and like I, I don't know. I, I, I like that anecdote. I think it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't <laughs> it mean anything, one. and it actually is horrible and doesn't explain anything. But I, I don't know. It's a good joke. No, it's it's a good one. Um. <laughs> I I liked how M was mixed because um like the lead singer's voice was really far back. Robert Cure. Kind of. Yeah, Robert Cure. <laughs> Robert Cure. <laughs> was super far back and like i don't know there's something unique about those harmonies and mm-hmm. a lot of like chorus on the guitar which i thought was indicative mm-hmm. of the time but like also they used it pretty heavily yeah and th- did you notice like that blend of like spooky guitar and electronic music with the synth it was like kind of a nice like unison you know they're yeah, getting married right then and there because <laughs> was this like 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 early 80s or what What did you say like 80 yeah 1980 80. 1980 so they're yeah. they're like just getting into like 
since they're just like, on it yeah they're just yeah head of the game it's it's cool the guitar sounds like nirvana to me that's kind of my only nascent thought other than what uh, who isn't say. influenced by the cure that's the a good reason point. i play guitar is because i listen to the cure yeah you can you can really hear we'll get to nirvana at some point i'd imagine but you can <laughs> definitely hear that influence yeah we must confront yeah, no, kurt. now that i think about it you're totally right yeah i literally just started playing it yeah. and i was like oh that sounds like kurt cobain's guitar yeah i never thought about that that's cool i i know that that kurt cobain is like very very like the cure and the pixies are two big ones for him mm-hmm Cool. We'll get to the pixels yeah. too. And, and I guess like moving forward, like I think what The Cure and Joy Division I think are like poster childs of like what post punk really was for a while or like who is like thought about, you know, when we listen to um I mean just listen to this. Just listen to Joy Division's <laughs> level terrace apart and you'll you'll see. It's interesting though, um, this like production or this sound that Joy Division has was produced by uh, Martin Hannett. Um, because it, apparently from what like you hear about like, you know, the old heads that still like talk about Joy Division or seeing them live, they said that they had a more like punk feeling to them and like a live show would be something fast, fast. And so like a lot of like Joy Division success is also accredited. You know, they're talented guys. All of them are talented guys. But it's also a credit to the producer, uh, Martin Hannett, who mixed them and gave them that it's like, is ethereal the right word to describe it? Like out of this world sound. It's yeah, like, no, I would definitely describe them as ethereal. Yeah. I, I would describe this whole genre as ethereal in a lot of ways. But Joy yeah. Division conjures images, I think. I think this is the classic horror analogy, right? Like the cure conjure the cure conjures images of like Dracula and like uh, you know, like werewolves and shit like that, and and Joy Division conjures images of like aliens. Aliens? <laughs> oh, sure. Right, right. Like it's <laughs> all it's funny. a sim- it's all you know, like aliens <laughs> and werewolves like and that. vampires and you know the swamp. Mo- like uh, it's all the same cheesy horror, but like I think it's romantic. The, right? TVH. Yeah, it's that like yeah. Uh, uh, Joy Division is the aliens of this genre. They're all romantic. No, they're they're great, and it's interesting to see this like produced sound that like takes you into this like dark room or like this like dimly lit room or you know where these like four awkward dudes are singing to you. <laughs> but um, Beto, I I feel like you know a little bit more about this time period than I do. I, to me, just like listening to it and looking at when these albums came out, it kind of feels like the Buzzcocks, which is what one of the things you had us listen to, is that they feel like they're part of this transition. Like, they don't feel as ethereal or, like, spooky or horror-oriented as, like, The Cure or Joy mm. Division or Echo and the Bunnymen or something like that. That They sound more akin to punk. Like, they sound a lot like the Sex Pistols to me in a lot of ways. And, I, and I don't know, do you, do you see them as, like, kind of a transition? Yeah, I think they're earlier on, the, on, on that. I mean, not that early. Right. So they're late. They're like late seventies as opposed to early eighties. Yeah. So it's like I mean, it's, like a, it's cure, a handful of years difference at most. Yeah. Like like I said, like the Cure's first album was in nineteen seventy nine, and I'm guessing this one is from nineteen seventy eight. So it, like it's not that it's not that far apart, I guess. And what what I was trying to I guess express with post punk was that it was the addition of other genres or like the development of other you know other genres. And ever falling in love could be described as like a as a pop single, you know, as what I would call it. Yeah, it's, it definitely it's a good is. one. It's punk. It's, a good it's one. punk with pop writing, as opposed to yeah. It doesn't have this like dark influence yet. Hmm. But um, I think a lot of the characteristics that are in it are are uh, present in a lot of other post-punk songs as well. In terms of structure or sound, and yeah. Beto, what's your favorite song from this genre, this era? From oof, damn. All right, straight up, I'm I'm kind of more into like the. I, I have a hard time with M between M, or like Joy Division's later development of like the band New Order. Oh uh, yeah. Song yeah, they have a song called um. 
dreams never end. But, I think so I, I think for me it's either got to be it it's either got to be she's lost control by Joy Division or the Killing Moon by Echo and the Bunnymen or potentially if you're going to group them <laughs> into this genre Panic by the Smiths. I don't know if they should be grouped in this genre, maybe a little bit, but not entirely. A little bit. No, for sure. A little bit, for but sure, they're not as bit. like deep into it as the Cure, you know. Mm-hmm. They're like that. They're like what are what are they called? Like they're like the they're new wave. They're the founders straight. of like indie. The founders of like right. Indie yeah, they they were a new wave band, but are like they are the reason indie rock exists. What about you, Ashley? Do you have any favorite goth or new wave? I know this isn't maybe your primary genre, but like yeah, I mean, I can definitely appreciate it. I really like that uh, Bella Lugosi song, um, and then the Smiths. I've always loved Morrissey's dope. Um, but I'm more like, I don't know what category you'd put like tears for fears. Yes. I, like I have tears for fears. Tears for fears is way more new wave. New but wave. Tears for fears is on the same playlist that I have like Blondie and Joy Division on. So like, yeah, also Blondie's new wave though. So, uh, so Ashley, every time we bring people on the show, we always ask them what they've been listening to recently. And then we like tell them a little bit about what we've been listening to. And, and we always ask why and like what we like about it and stuff like that, you know, so it's a little bit more than just like a straight recommendation. So, uh, what what have you what have you been listening to recently? What are you into? Yeah, so I've been listening to this band called Alika's Attic or Aleka's Attic. I don't really know how to say it, but um, the lead singer was. Wait, how do you how do you spell that? It's A L E K A apostrophe S Attic, like in your house. Um, you know the attic, like in your house. And the lead singer was actually Joaquin Phoenix's brother, who died in the early nineties. Um, but it's R- got this really cool, River Phoenix, yeah. Yeah, River. Um, but it's got this really cool like punk, like alternative folk rock vibe. And um the song called In the Corner Dunce is really good. Um, just released in twenty nineteen by his sister. And so when I go round round and I hit the town and when I can't be found, then you wait for sounds. Well it's over you, you're under me, and if it's the way it should be, then I will that's awesome that sounds great i've been uh listening to y- y'all are gonna sigh at me i've been listening to lcd sound system but when am i not listening to lcd sound system lcd sound system is one of my favorite bands um we just listened to one of their albums for our album of the week project which i that blog post may or may not be up yet, but it will be up soon. You should go read about it. It's It's got some interesting things in it. Uh, we talked about Sound of Silver, which is one of their foundationally important albums. Uh, but what I, what I wanted to highlight in this, because uh, I've been listening to a lot of them, uh, I, I wanted to highlight a song from their 2010 album called This Is Happening. Um, it's definitely their most popular song. It's called Dance Yourself Clean. Uh, it's this really cool, like, it's it's an it's a nine-minute song which I love and I know that other people don't, but I enjoy stuff like that. Um, and, and, you know, LCD Sound System is this weird, like, dance punk, I think, is their genre, which sounds, like, insufferable, but once you hear them, it kind of makes sense. Um, Ashley actually described them really well in that they are, they're making dance music with punk instruments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, this is a really, like, more synth-heavy song, but it, uh, it has, like, these, like, almost three minutes of light vocals and like hand percussion and stuff like that and then that's like the three minute mark it drops into this like really cool electronic uh style beat kind of thing um and we're gonna listen to that drop right now so this is dance yourself clean by lcd sound system I've been working a lot lately and we have an aux cable at Pizza Schmitza. So I've been blasting. Um, Just gave Pizza uh, Schmitza some free advertising. Hey, but uh, I've been blasting Agent Orange's Living in Darkness album. And it's from the 70s. It's like surf punk. 
it's hella sick. Sounds cool. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and the, my favorite track off this album is um, A Cry for Help in the World Gone Mad. And here you go. Sometimes I think you're old friends, but they all seem the same. And I see them and they can't remember my name. I get punches like them, I guess I'm just a bore. I can hate them, but I've never done that before. I got some good friends I don't want anymore. Fantastic. Well, Ashley, it's been really great having you on the show. Um, thanks for coming. Thanks for sharing, talking, yeah. educating thanks us for about coming. a ton of covers and awesome. stuff like that. Yeah. Thanks for, Thanks for giving us the jingles. Giving us the jingles. You know it. Yeah, we I did want, a lot of singing. I want a royalty on those, though. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you can send us a bill because we're not paying <laughs> I, you I or will. anything. <laughs> yeah, and that wraps up uh, the Out of Phase podcast brought to you by PSPS. Once again, I am Beto Carrasco. And I'm Drew Hafner. And we'd like to thank our guest, Ashley, once again for being here and making the time talk to us today all right see y'all later this is drew signing off this is my dj persona (laughs) 